Welcome to Everything Just Changed, a new podcast where we are asking the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus and to love our neighbors in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world? What do we do when everything that we thought life was, this kind of upward trajectory of success and things getting always better and better has been completely changed? I'm Bryce Hales, and I'm with my friend Brad Edwards. We're two pastors. We're sitting down to explore hope and opportunity in this really unique cultural moment that we're living through. And so in the past couple episodes, we have talked about what if this is actually a once in a lifetime opportunity that God is giving us to move into a kingdom kind of way of living rather than living out of a a scarcity mindset where we've just got to take care of ourselves and our families. We've explored this idea of secularism, this idea that making a name for yourself rather than receiving it from God is what we're really here to do as human beings. And then last week, we talked about how we often experience God in the storm. It's it's in the midst of the trial. It's in the midst of the crisis that God is near to us. Yeah, it's funny. I've been uh, tracking the day number since it's been, since we've been able to uh, regather as a, a church for worship on Sunday morning. And uh, as I was keeping track, sending out in my our kind of weekly and, and more than weekly newsletters, uh, you know, day number blank. And uh, now we're at day number, I've lost count, right? Yeah. Um, the last newsletter. And as this continues to go on, I don't know about you, Bryce, but I, I keep hearing more and more people, neighbors, friends, uh, those inside the church and outside the church, where the kind of isolation of this and the lack of community is really starting to take a toll. And we're starting to notice yeah. there are some people who may be a little bit more... Um, uh, equipped and resilient in the midst of this, and some who like are are struggling in particular. Mm. And there seems to be some common denominators between that ability to endure and be spiritually resilient in isolation versus not. Mm. Yeah. And so one of those aspects of secularism that we have kind of uh, flirted with so far, but really want to kind of uh, explore a lot more deeply is secularism's approach to community, right? We live in a highly individualistic society, and we see that there are very different ways of handling this pandemic, whether you're in an Eastern, far more communal society versus a Western individualistic society. And there are dramatic repercussions, not just for how you deal with it, but especially Especially in this area of how we understand community and how community is either uh, a, a satisfying source of resiliency right now or not. And so, Bryce, maybe it'd be helpful to describe a little bit about what we mean by uh, individualism and, and how that's related to secularism, as we've discussed so far. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the um, signs that the secular uh, approach to life was maybe beginning to show some cracks in the foundation even before the COVID-19 crisis set in was the way that it's affecting our approach to community. I think that community in some ways has become just this buzzword in the last, gosh, like 20 years or so, depending even on how old you are. You think about television shows. Uh, okay, I can break this out by generation. You got Cheers and then you got Seinfeld and Friends. Oh, yeah. And, and then now, like, um, what comes to mind? The New Girl comes to mind. 
Um, but but all of these shows that are about people living in kind of close proximity to one another, just experiencing like great relationships where, of course, there's tension or it wouldn't be interesting to watch. But I think some of the reason these shows have been so popular is because they just show what what we want, that we want to be known. Uh, we want to have a place where you can show up no matter the time of day and know that you'll be accepted. People will know you for who you are and they'll still like you. And so... Yeah. In, in this kind of time that we live in, one of the promises that's been held out to us is the promise that technology is going to allow us to be connected all the time. And of course, the iPhone was like the huge game changer in this and the way that it, it enabled social media to take the place of so much social interaction that was previously you could only do in person, right? And so um, that was the promise. And yet there's been a lot of research that's come out just in the last couple of years that has been showing how community is breaking down and people are feeling increasingly isolated and lonely. There was that article in the Boston Globe, gosh, maybe two or three years ago that said the greatest health risk facing middle-aged men is loneliness. It's greater than smoking or obesity. People are just incredibly isolated. Um 22% of millennials say they don't have a friend. 30% of millennials say that they're lonely. Um, and so the, the strangeness of that is in this time when technology has allowed us to be connected to literally anyone on the planet, just this promise that we can always be connected, what we're actually experiencing is increasing loneliness. And that was all before, you know, at least in the United States, March 2020, when our president and our governors and local officials said, don't come out of your house anymore. And it's been fascinating to me to see how people that I'm uh, in connection with people in our church have responded to these kind of stay-at-home orders. And I think one of the things that's really just highlighting for us is the inadequacy of virtual community. The ability to connect with people during this shutdown is amazing. You know, Zoom, uh, we're talking on Zoom right now, Brad. You know, I wish I had bought stock in Zoom about a month before. Don't we all? Um, this crisis set in. My, my assistant didn't know what Zoom was the first time, and now, you know, we're on it all the time. It's the ability to connect is incredible and yet it doesn't do enough it it's not helping us to um, experience community in the way that we want it's funny the first tuesday morning that we were kind of in a shelter in place uh, situation our church started doing a uh, morning prayer meeting where i just get on zoom and i lead anybody who shows up sometimes it's you know a couple of people sometimes it's 15 20 or more people uh, households who get on that call and we just spend 15 minutes kind of praying through a liturgy together. The first Tuesday we did that, a woman in our church, she she starts crying. She just says, I'm so thankful. Thank you so much for doing this and helping us find ways to get together. And I was thinking, you know, this woman was at my house the previous Thursday night. You know, <laughs> it had been four days since I'd seen her in my living room. To be fair, that was a really long four days. That was a long four days. <laughs> does, I mean, it just highlights this, like seeing each other on, you know, on Facebook Live, however you're live streaming your service, uh, connecting with people just through technology is not sufficient to fill the need that we all have. It's super important to, to acknowledge that like technology is not the problem here, right? Uh, this existed before technology. Technology just amplifies something that is already there. And now that this crisis has hit, 
it's only through the amplification of te- technology that we are able to connect in community. And so it is just like, like pouring gasoline on the fire and then like building it up to this monumental bonfire and then pouring more gasoline on top of that fire. Like it's just this compounding effect. And so the question that we want to kind of wrestle with, what, w- what was going on? Why was community a challenge before all this happened? And what is it exactly that's being exacerbated by this crisis? Uh, How do we trace back the fruit of isolation to the root into whatever it was that was contributing to that in the first place? Yeah. So in a world where we have, you know, a lot more freedom, let's be honest, than people did even 100, 150 years ago. And where we also have the technology that allows us to connect with people far more than we did, you know, even a very, very short time ago. I remember, uh, you know, my wife and I were dating uh, and she went uh, in college and she went on a semester abroad. And and this was before, you know, free international calls, before Zoom, Skype, whatever. You know, we would talk like every couple of weeks. I mean... It hasn't been that long. Technology is allowing us to connect. Why is it in this time when we have more freedom and more technology that people are feeling incredibly isolated and lonely at the same at the very same time? And I think maybe to answer that question, we have to start at the beginning, right? We, you know, as, as Christians, we believe that uh, we are all human beings made in the image of God, and that God is Trinitarian. If if God is Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons in one essence, one God, three persons, if that is the case and we are made in that image, then that means we are made in, in a way that is part of our nature, that is not a cultural or social uh, dynamic or precondition, but an ontological one, an anthropological one, we are made for community and we are not made for isolation and loneliness. Yeah, and we don't fully bear the image of God on our own. Male and female, he created them, right? And so a, a single isolated person is is not bearing the image of God fully in the way that they were created to do. Uh, we all know this that a, that an isolated person is a hurting. Mm-hmm. So the, the Trinity is the basis for our need for community as human beings. Absolutely, and and so as we were wrestling with like how do we how do we understand this in a way that makes sense, and in particular in light of what we were have been talking about uh, in in terms of secularism and its effect. Yeah identity and especially individual identity, um, we realize that there is a Christian trinity that we are in the made in the image of God, God, and there's also a a secular trinity that we pursue community through the lens of. Yeah. So these categories that we're we're, we're kind of using as a shorthand to understand um, especially why this crisis and this historical moment has become so difficult for Western society is because that that trinity, that secular trinity that that we pursue an identity in the image of is autonomy or the the, the concept of limitless freedom that we uh, pursue every opportunity to not be constrained whatsoever because that's where we will find our dignity, value, and worth. Uh, self-fulfillment, right? This pursuit of, of you know, hedonism is, a, is a, a really strong word to describe it, but you could you could also describe it as just achievement or the pursuit of the American dream or just whatever your individual uh, preferences are and how you will find satisfaction. It's about your fulfillment, right? And then also... The third member of the Trinity is this idea of expressive individualism that says, I have a voice and my identity is not complete. My dignity, value, and worth is being eroded 
And I'm having an existential crisis because I'm not able to express myself in those ways that are uniquely me, right? So autonomy, self-fulfillment, and expressive individualism. Now, all those things have been completely dismantled and exposed, yeah. right? autonomy can you have in a, a stay-at-home order? <laughs> right. How much self-fulfillment can you pursue when you just lost your job mm. um, or you're sick in bed, right? How much individualism can you express uh, when everybody else is doing it and you're in content overload and cannot look at a screen for one minute longer, right? Yeah. All of those things are no longer a means of community in ways that we are used to. Yeah. So what's interesting about this secular trinity is that each of these elements is diametrically opposed to the Christian Trinity. You know, God the Father purposes our salvation. He is committed to us no matter what happens. Jesus the Son gives himself, sacrifices himself for the sake of his people. And then the Holy Spirit brings the presence of God into our lives, not just kind of externally, but, but the Holy Spirit actually lives and dwells within us as believers. And so the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are moving us through commitment, through sacrifice, through presence into the experience of community that we call the church, that God calls the church. The exact opposite dynamic is what we see going on as a result of the secular trinity of autonomy, self-fulfillment, and expressive. So autonomy says, uh, you can't be committed to anybody else. You have to be true to yourself and being true to yourself above all else. To yourself more than anything else. And if anybody constrains that commitment, if anybody compromises your ability to fully and freely um, prioritize your freedom, then yeah, that, that becomes a, a an existential threat. Yeah. Self-fulfillment says don't give up your dreams for the sake of anyone else. You know, you've got to be true to yourself. You've got to go out into the world. You've got to discover who you really are and you can't let anything hold you back. And then expressive individualism says you've got to, you've got to let everybody know who you are. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just the idea that um, the sourcing of your dignity, value, and worth in your own unique contribution. So no matter how you are wired as an individual, who you are as an individual, you're actually not fully an individual or your identity is not complete unless you have the opportunity to express that contribution in order to, to actually put it out there into the world because it's not just about you and isolation. It's actually you being who you are and in such a way that you are recognized and praised for it, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a seeking of, of honor and significance and meaning, uh, which we can affirm that those are good things, but it, it's actually ultimately self-defeating. Yeah. Yeah. So we're already living in this world where community is under threat. I mean, we know that, you know, statistically that we're increasingly lonely, uh, that was happening prior to this crisis. And then this hits, COVID-19 hits, we're all staying at home and we're increasingly isolated. And now we're starting to wonder like, how long, how long is this going to go on? The interesting thing I think about this, uh, one of the most interesting books I read last year is um, a book called Why Liberalism Failed by Patrick Deenan. And what Patrick Deenan is saying is that we've kind of raised autonomy, self-fulfillment, expressive individualism, the kind of the pursuit of, of my own happiness to uh, the highest good in our culture. And there's both a left and a right version of them. And I think on the surface, we tend to think of secularism as a more of a left-leaning ideology. 
And yet there are versions of it on both sides of the political spectrum. And what Deenan is saying is that basically liberals believe that the state is the best way to guarantee individual liberty. And conservatives believe that free markets are the best way to guarantee individual liberty. But they're both agreed that the pursuit of individual liberty is the highest good. And so they're both doing the same thing. They're just taking different paths to get there. But now we're living in this time where there is no community. (laughs) We're all suffering this at the same rate. And the fascinating thing when we come at this from the biblical standpoint is that God is a solution to our loneliness. God is a solution to our, you know, our need for community. It's called the church. It's God's ancient solution to our very modern problem. In Acts 2, 42 and following, a passage that's going to be very familiar to Christians hearing this, it, it describes the early church and it says that as the Holy Spirit comes and fills believers, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This incredible picture of human community where people are spending time together, there's there's presence, there's care, people are sacrificing their own, you know, finances for the sake of others. But one of the things I think is really fascinating about this passage is that often you hear people make a kind of analogy to communism. Wow, everybody had everything in common. Um, Isn't that a communist kind of attitude? The huge difference between what's being described, the community of the church in Acts 2 and communism is that this is happening of people's own free will. There's no coercion here. There's no external kind of coercion. It's the Holy Spirit at work within people, the gospel coming to fruition in the lives of the believers that is causing them to live this generous and others-oriented lifestyle. You know, it's interesting that the, what makes that possible, right? Because this is the, this is the conversation that the kind of left and right ends of the spectrum in our, at least American culture, this is what we're arguing about right now is how do we dial in society such that everybody's happy and everybody's flourishing, right? At, at its best, hmm liberals and conservatives are pursuing an answer to that question. And we can disagree on how we answer that question, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're all going to be happier or or aligned, but we may all flourish. The key, and this is the unique contribution, the human and God-ordained institution that is the church has to offer in this moment is that those who are part of a church are socially and spiritually formed with an identity that they receive vertically. Right. Every other, like we, we, we talked about this during the, uh, when we were talking about secularism, Bryce, when yeah. uh, in the Tower of Babel, right, we try to make a name for ourselves. That language is us trying to achieve, build, craft through whatever means an identity on our own through creation, not the creator. So it's horizontal, not vertical. If it's dependent on us, then disagreement, uh, differences, diversity, all of those things become existential threats not different parts of the same body, not different um, contributions to human flourishing. And so what's 
what's problematic about the secular trinity to bring this back to where we started mm. is autonomy self-fulfillment expressive individualism all of those things require a fulfillment through the horizontal mm. it's it, they are they are they are sources of communal social identity and also at least implicitly spiritual identity that require ideal circumstances in order to pursue only an identity that is fueled vertically and by grace that is given and we receive and respond to only that is sufficient to to drive a community that is able to number one withstand crisis um (laughs) number two stay connected despite differences and number three be satisfying enough such that we are then able to model the trinity's own posture toward us but in community Mm. sacrifice and presence we can be present with people we can prioritize them and pursue their flourishing because our ultimate meaning dignity value and worth that answer is already provided yeah it's secure yeah yeah because our because christians believe our identity is received from god right if you're living this life that says you got to be true to yourself you never sacrifice your happiness for everyone else you can do anything you want as long as you're not hurting anybody else, that inevitably leads to isolation because I cannot be in community with people who uh, don't agree with me, people who aren't... Well, it's almost impossible to have community because I'm pursuing my highest good while you're pursuing your highest good. And if those pull in opposite directions, I have to, in order to be true to myself, I have to pull away from you. And again... We see that in both liberal and conservative ways. I mean, just, you know, I'm not even going to go into details, but in the last year, I have seen people leave our church community because on the one hand, people say, we can't be in community with you anymore because we don't agree with the Bible's sexual ethic. Hmm. You know, so there's the liberal pull away, but then there's also the conservative pull away that sort of says, hey, if you're not going to endorse our political ideology, then we can't be a part of this community either because we've got to protect our kids. And so both are really kind of this secular posture of saying we have to be true to who we are. We're not going to sacrifice our good, uh, our happiness for anyone else. And frankly, it, 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 it makes community impossible. It really makes learning impossible. But the church is the only community or institution that that has truly uh that has a shared identity because it's received from god not something that we actually achieve on our own and therefore it's the only institution that really makes community possible over the long and especially cross-culturally uh cross-ethnically yes economically it is the hope of uh unity and diversity combined Mm -hmm. and you know it's interesting because as we we said the last episode, there are you know progressive and conservative expressions of secularism. Um, the way that hits community, like we we, we have our idols, right? Uh, the, the progressive idol for community is tolerance, right? We say that we will we we need to tolerate other viewpoints and have a pluralistic of perspectives. But as soon as you uh, are deemed intolerant, you are not included in that community. So it's remarkable. Right tolerance. But the same goes for on the conservative end of the spectrum, which is, I I would say, you know, maybe you're you're probably a little bit more familiar with this in your Orange County context, but from (laughs) where I'm sitting, it very much seems like the kind of community idol there is doctrinal alignment. Like it's, it's actually, uh, it's a, it's a 
ideological alignment that confuses often theology and politics. Yeah, well, it's that, it's, but it's also in, in some ways more than that, it's children. You know, it's, hey, it's good for the kids. It's uh, in, in the name of family values. Hey, we have to uh, we have to pull away from church community because we can't sacrifice our children's opportunity to become professional athletes. It's safety. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Safety, it's safety, protection of career, protection of opportunity. Exactly. Economic advancement, protection yep. of comfort. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes total sense. But what those two perspectives have in common is there is an invulnerability there right? Mm -hmm. Pursuing community that doesn't require vulnerability or risk. And there is no, there's no flourishing that will happen in that community. And, you know, it's funny, I similarly, you know, to you, Bryce, you know, we've had, um, you know, families leave the church and it breaks my heart every time, especially when it doesn't include a conversation around uh, the the deeper reasons why they're leaving. But Remember last fall, we had we had two families leave um, for literally the exact opposite reasons. Mm-hmm. The one who was coming from a more kind of uh, progressive understanding of community and church thought we were too conservative, and the one that was coming from a more conservative uh, approach to church uh, thought we were we were too liberal, we were too mm-hmm. pro- uh, pro- progressive, yeah. um, and both of those share this: I am too uncomfortable and cannot risk being vulnerable. And, and, and experiencing a diversity of community, despite our being unified around this common identity we have been given as Christians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what's beautiful about the church community in Acts 2, because what you see is a community that's not based around, you know, it's tempting to read kind of our political uh, divide back into previous moments in, in history. But you've got a church community that is both multi-ethnic and it's oriented around the poor and service to the poor. But but on the other hand, it has a, a radically pro-life ethic. It has a traditional biblical sexual ethic. And so it's, it's neither progressive nor conservative. It's not red or blue. And the common reality of everybody in this community is that they have just experienced the, the Holy Spirit coming and filling them, right? So it's the presence of God coming not just as a, uh, you know, in the temple, hidden away behind a curtain, that can only be visited by the high priest once a year, but the Holy Spirit is actually now dwelling in believers. It's an identity that's received from God that allows people to say, we can bring our differences together in unity and experience community together that that is all the more richer because of the uniqueness that we bring to the table, right? Rather than what we experience which is saying, oh, actually, we're agreed on, you know, 99 things, but we found the one that we disagree with you on. So now we have to leave. So let's let's bring this home. Let's let's talk about, okay, maybe maybe you're listening to this podcast, Bryce, and you are realizing, oh, man, yeah, this this crisis, this uh, quarantine, stay at home, uh, the, the economic uh, repercussions is is definitely making me f- feel more isolated because I really like especially Especially either maybe autonomy or self-fulfillment or this expressive individualism, like those are being stripped away from me and exposed as definitions uh, and lenses for community for me so far. What do I do with that? Like, mm-hmm. like maybe one of those in particular really identifies with you. What 
how do you do what we have been trying to ask the question around in this podcast of if this is a once in a lifetime redemptive opportunity, how do we, how do we take advantage of that opportunity? How do we respond and actually do community differently that can sustain us and others in crisis? Never mind ordinary life. Yeah. Well, I think we have to realize that our autonomy is not guaranteed anymore. It's been taken off the table. And uh, of course, we have still some measure of freedom, and yet a lot of that freedom has been uh, stripped away. The reality is that real community requires vulnerability. Uh, I love, um, you know, Brene Brown, if you've ever seen her TED Talk on vulnerability, says that vulnerability is the first thing I look for in other people. It's the last thing that I want to share myself. You know, when I enter a place, I want to know, are people going to let their guard down enough to let me in? But I'm not, I don't want to be the first one to let my guard down. Mm -hmm. Andy Crouch in his book, Strong and Weak, does something incredible with vulnerability because what, what he says in that book is that vulnerability is not emotional transparency. Mm -hmm. And as much as I love Brene Brown, if you only listen to her talk about vulnerability, you might come away with the impression that vulnerability is just being transparent about your emotion. But Andy Crouch says vulnerability is actually about taking meaningful risk. Mm -hmm. There's no way to experience true community without taking a meaningful risk, letting your guard down, you know, that might be as simple as showing up at a place that you've never been before. And I mean, frankly, I don't think I want to go as simplistic as to say the answer to this is show up at church on Sunday as soon as you possibly can. But let's be honest, there's a risk involved in showing up at a church that you've never been to for the first time. And and if we're if, if everything that we've been talking about is true in that the church is an institution and a community where identity, so dignity, value, and worth, where that is gifted vertically from God and transcends any human relationship, then the most meaningful risk you can take is to enter into a community defined by grace that could offer meaning that transcends any suffering or change in circumstance that caused by this crisis or any other. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is the only way to really mitigate the risk that's necessary for community is to receive your identity by grace from God. Yeah. I, for, for the Christian, there is no other way of, it's not about mitigating the risk so much as anchoring uh, that which is risk such that you are free to risk it horizontally mm. in all of society. Yeah. Right? If you're not a Christian and you like you're hearing us talk about going to church and you're like, the hell with that, you need to enter into a community where the risk is significantly uh, mitigated because the community you're entering into is defined by grace, right? If you enter into a community of, of like Hall of Fame athletes and you want to be an equal member of all of like you and I are screwed, Bryce. I mean, <laughs> it's just me. Like I'm not, that's, that's a very risky situation right. to, and to expect to be vulnerable in and then be fully known at the same time. But if it's a community that says like, no, we're pretty jacked up and we cannot even look at you with judgment or self-righteousness because we have nothing to offer apart from the grace that God has given us. And he's gifted an identity to us that is better than anything we could offer ourselves or find on our own. And therefore, I don't have to put up a mask around you. Like, so we can welcome you as Christians because that identity is secure and we can let the masks down. And therefore, it's a vulnerable community. Grace makes a community yeah. vulnerable without fear, yeah. but with humility. That is the only hope we have. If we are experiencing this isolation, 
um, and, and difficulty with, with loneliness that's been exacerbated by this. We need to find a community that is defined by grace, expressed in vulnerable, uh, flourishing ways, and where meaning can be found no matter what your socioeconomic status or uh, ability or competency or anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm holding on to my autonomy and I'm saying, hey, I got to be true to myself. I've got to uh, not sacrifice my happiness for anybody else. I'm going to find it very difficult to enter into community because my autonomy really is my attempt to protect myself from vulnerability, protect myself from risk. And the only way I'm going to actually experience love and community and acceptance with other people is by taking the risk to enter into a, a gracious community. You know, here's one of the just practical things. Maybe we could just leave it with this. I'm sure you've experienced this before in the last month, Brad. Okay, you're on a Zoom call and uh, you know that you're sitting there and you have your pajama pants on, right? And so you're, you're, you don't want to stand up because you don't want to let people know that even though I'm a pastor and I'm here leading this thing, you know, I don't want to show that I actually got up four minutes before this call started and I'm still in my pajamas. I haven't brushed my teeth or my hair yet. Wait, is that, is that what's actually happening right now? Is this a confession? Yeah, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> sure. You know, I mean, Gosh, I know it's a simple thing, but what a just a tiny little step to say, hey, I can practice vulnerability with my community, even though we are socially distanced from each other, even though most of our interactions are still taking place over things like Zoom and text message. Uh, there's still this desire that we see in ourselves, in others to protect ourselves from being vulnerable. Man, what if we could just let our guards down and be honest about what's really going on? Well, and, and this, that, that's, that's a perfect pairing with like the invitation to uh, explore community in the church, whether you're a Christian who's like terrified of other Christians behaving badly or a non-Christian who's like never felt welcome there at all before. What I tell people all the time is the invitation is to come into the store take the, the outfit off the rack because you can't know if that outfit will actually fit you by just looking at it on the rack. Take it off the rack, go into the dressing room, put it on, make sure, like, see if it matches the color of your eyes and the rest mm -hmm. of it, or, you know, whatever else, you know, if it has a slimming effect or if it highlights your pastoral love handles, you know, whatever that is, like, try it on. There's no pressure that you have to walk out with it and pay for it, but there is an invitation that you know, you can, you can set down your autonomy temporarily right without on. pressure to, uh, to, to, to walk out the door with the alternative. Just try it on. Try and it on before you make the purchase. Totally. So to go back to where we started, right? We live in a culture in a society that is in Western culture is highly individualistic. And that individualistic value can turn to an individualism when it becomes a controlling lens for how we see the world and how we seek our dignity, value, and worth. And what this, the post-pandemic um, uh, era is going to be characterized is of a lot of people who've been exposed by this crisis and that individualism feeling extremely uh, unsatisfying. So we can either double down on it uh, which I would like doubling down on heroin is not really a great strategy for getting healthy, but um, you could do that. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, or we can try an alternative. And so what the gospel invites us into is an alternative that is defined not by self-fulfillment, autonomy, and expressive individualism, but a grace-fueled commitment, a grace-fueled sacrifice, and a grace-fueled presence that God 
is already offering to us before he asks us to practice it anywhere else. And so that's where, if you, especially like, just talk to pastors really briefly. If you're a pastor listening, please like see this not as a threat to your church mm. and I'm to myself right now, because that feels like a threat, this whole, everything that's going on right now. But this is actually when the church is most needed to be the institution and the community that is the church. And that is a beautiful, amazing, redemptive opportunity that nobody has had for at least a generation. And so let's lean into that and, and have that kingdom mindset and, and seek to cooperate with where God is, is inviting us into that. Yeah, it's an opportunity for us too. And, the, and taking advantage of the opportunity means that we as Christians, we as pastors, we as churches embody the, uh, the commitment, the sacrifice, and the presence that God has already offered to us in the gospel. Beautiful. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Everything Just Changed. We hope this podcast has been an encouragement and a helpful resource to you as you seek to navigate life in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world. If our podcast has been helpful to you, we would love it if you would help us spread the word. Could you just think right now about one friend that might be encouraged by this and send them a link to this podcast right now? We would love that. Thank you so much. Next week, we'll be back with our very first interview. Brad and I are going to be sitting down with David Cassidy, the pastor at Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee. You know, we talk about uh, coming from a post-Christian perspective, but David is uh, leading a flourishing church in the Bible Belt, and I promise you it will be an encouraging conversation to you in ways that you can't even predict. So please don't miss that. I'm Bryce Hales with Brad Edwards. Our theme music was recorded by Kevin McLeod and used under a Creative Commons license from filmmusic.io. We'll be back next week on Everything Just Changed.